Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Well, uh, I've got a little uh, breathing room. Okay. Because uh, I, I was uh, uh, reevaluating the, because I'm the type of person I am, um, but like I charitably, when I'm trying to make myself sound good, I say I'm a planner. Really, I'm compulsive and I, uh, uh, um, uh, my life is dictated down to the very second by, uh, rules and regulations that exist only in my head and right. schemes and rigid structures. Uh, it's a coping mechanism for anxiety that ends up making me more anxious. This is what my therapist used to try to convince <laughs> me of. Um, it's nice to know that you've retained all the negative parts of Catholicism without any of the hope <laughs> that could potentially come with it. Um, so it is not uh, uncommon for me to have a, um, the sort of milestone, milestone sounds uh, self-aggrandizing, but uh, the big episodes of Battleship Retention that we do, the, the yearly episodes that we do, mm -hmm. it's not uncommon for me to have them planned out on our shared calendar literally years in advance. Sure. So uh, I was uh, rearranging some things for early 2021 because the Oscars will not be happening on February 28th, 2021. They will instead be happening on April 25th, 2021. Okay. And so I'm assuming that we will, because we've always used the Oscars as the sort of uh, uh, yardstick by which we... Um, uh, uh, schedule our end of year wrap up. Um, I'm assuming we'll all be, also be pushing those episodes back uh, eight weeks, which would be, I mean, give the idea is to give people more time to, to catch up, I guess. But also here's the thing that I don't think we'll be doing, but uh, um, let me run this by you. Cause I know you don't know this. You okay, intentionally yeah. steered clear of this. So not only are the Oscars being pushed back, eight weeks the eligibility is as well so now movies no longer have to come out by december 31st movies that come out through february of 2021 will be eligible for those oscars uh i i'm not planning on uh you can do whatever you want my my best of 2020 list is going to be 2020 movies uh, i've al i've always been ridiculously unwaveringly strict on that uh to begin with so i i won't be making an adjustment for my list this year uh, what you do is, of course, up to you, as always. You don't need my permission. Oh boy, this is this is gonna really mess some stuff up when it comes to like the BPs and year-end lists. Like, I feel like you know this this might be some behind the curtain stuff, but I feel like you and I and Scott are gonna have to figure out like what the official BP line is for our contributors. Um, okay. Otherwise, it's just gonna be complete anarchy. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think I've already made my, but this is, like you said, this is off my stuff we'll have to discuss, but I think yeah. we should just stick with 2020. If that means a shallower pool of movies, that's yeah. the year that 2020 was. I always think of, maybe this is again, delusions of grandeur, self-aggrandizing, whatever. I always think of the list that we make as being in a sense for posterity that, uh, that that you know we can go back and look at our now 10 years removed. You and I can go back and look at our favorite films of 2010 and, yeah, and, and see something, and, and see the the what the what the podcast in general represented, what the what the mood was, and so I feel like 
uh, I was actually talking about this with, uh, or, or my boss brought this up in a, in a work uh, meeting that there was an actor strike in 1981. And, and, and he was talking about 1982 always seems like a very good year for movies for, for him. And a lot of that's because a lot of it just, just got pushed back. There weren't as many good 1981 movies. Um, even 82, though I, 82 was a good year. And then literally one of my top 10 films of all time uh, is a 1981 film, and that's an American werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, there, there are, there are uh, uh, arguments for and against, but the, the general um, uh, point stands that uh, I, I don't think the, I don't think for me, the goal is to have an equally robust pool for each year. It is for our year end coverage to actually represent the year that was yeah i think that's actually doing it later but sorry i I cut you off i think that's actually a good a a good mindset because and i think about this in terms of the oscars in general which is why when people get upset about a certain movie not winning best picture and the oscars uh or any top 10 list whatever it is um is just a real can always just serve as an interesting snapshot of what the landscape was at the time. And so we can just say like, yeah, from January 1st of 2020 to December 31st, uh, this is what we had. um, And this is what we're going to go with. Uh, And so I do feel like in a way, I wish that the Oscars had kept the date and, and, and had the attitude that, that you have, because as we, as has been talked about, if they had done that, then they do have a shallower pool but not necessarily. They have a shallower pool of more of traditional Oscar movies, which would mean that they might need to dig a little bit deeper. And suddenly you start to get performances that are amazing, but maybe they're in a genre movie or they're in something uh, that it was only distributed via streaming or something like that. And they have to, just out of necessity, they have to embrace that. Yeah. And that to yeah. me would be very exciting. But now by pushing it back, they're essentially being like, okay, no, we, God forbid we do that. We can't do that. We need our usual, even though they, they also chose to, uh, I did see that they're, they're saying there's going to be 10 best picture nominees, yeah. which seems an odd choice given that uh, even, even by pushing it back two months, Uh, I think some movies are going to be postponed until even after that. And Mm -hmm. so it seems an odd time to say, like to say definitively, we're going to have 10 nominees. Um, But that's, then it just represents the year as a shallower. And here's here's the other thing. There are, there are so many good movies. Like right now, as of this recording, it is June 15th. Mm -hmm. Um, We're recording uh, early. This episode won't go up for a week. Um, But, uh, as of this recording, I have a top five of 2020 that's actual 2020 releases yeah. that doesn't, it, it's, I mean, it's not the best five movies ever made, but <laughs> right. I can get to five before getting to a place where I'm endorsing a movie that I don't really fully endorse, you know? I um, see. And so I feel confident that I, that by the end of 2020, I will have a top 10 that I'll be okay with. I am going to take a look right now and see if that is true for me. Cause you do see, you have seen more movies than I have. I decided, and we'll, we'll discover this, uh, or we'll, we'll talk about this when we get to our next movie journal, whenever that's going to be. Um, but yeah, 
I've rather than talk about movies that have come out in uh, 2020, it would appear I uh, am really interested in what was happening a hundred years ago because <laughs> I've been wa- I've been catching up on silent movies. Um, oh, cool! I say, ca- I say catching up. What? <laughs> in what sense? Am I behind? Like it's you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, looking at now, looking at uh, the movies I've seen, the 2020 films I've seen. Once I incorporate a couple others. Um, that I've seen recently. Yeah, I think my top five will be, uh, for lack of a better term, defensible. Yeah, um, that's exactly. Yeah. I'm also, not only do I, so I have a top five that's defensible, even if I went to a top ten right now, Wendy would still not make the cut. That's how <laughs> much I hated that movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, did you write a review of it? I forget. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. I don't think I read it, and I think I would. I would like to. I've, you know, I heard you talk about it, but I feel like I want to see it in writing. It's always, uh, it's always interesting when somebody because year to year, there might not be a movie that I hate. You know, they're like my least favorite movie might be something that's like, yeah, that wasn't very good. But every once in a while, there's a movie that I really hate. Uh, and invariably, and, and certainly like movies you hate, invariably, those can be very interesting to to read just because like, OK, what could possibly inspire such words as hate? Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the Oscars will look like. As I said, it is a it is a bummer that because now by doing what they're doing, I think they are going to wind up. The slate of nominees are going to be the type of thing that you usually see. Whereas if they had done it, the, you know, if they had kept to the, the usual, uh, the usual date, I think it would have, it would have forced them to think a little bit broader and, and that would have been fun to see, but Oh, well, you, you know, I, honestly, I'm looking forward to a, 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 this is what I was saying, not just more time, but I will have a less stressful, like, because uh, you and I always talk about having to cram before we do our top yeah. 10. I'll have a less stressful thing because a lot of this, if this, assuming the release calendar behaves the way it normally does, that means a lot of quote unquote awards bait will be coming out in January and February. Yeah. And I won't consider it eligible. And therefore, I won't have to watch it. This so is going fu- to fuck us over, not just this year, but next <laughs> year, too. It's really going to mess things up. Oh, because we're going to have some January and February releases on our best of 2021. It seems almost list. a guarantee if we're thinking uh, in Oscar terms. See, I love that. That's exciting. That is very <laughs> exciting. Um, okay. So, uh, David, uh, obviously... Um, there are important things going on in the world, and uh, the listener can help contribute yes. uh, to, to that. Thank how you. Do, yeah. How do they do that? Uh, because we're recording this uh, all uh, out of order, um, uh, we have a guest who's been just incredibly patiently quiet during all of this. <laughs> no, I'm yeah. kidding. He's not here yet. Um, yeah, we're doing this out of order, so I forgot that I had not yet mentioned that if you buy anything at all at battleshipretention.com slash premium during the month of June. 100% of those proceeds uh, will go to Communities United Against Police Brutality. And we, I, I keep uh, emphasizing the 100% part because I want people to know that like PayPal will take a cut of what you give us, but we are covering that. Right. <laughs> like we're giving your what we get from you and then we're covering PayPal's cut. So, so just to make sure that 100% of the money that you spend 
uh, goes to community genetic against yeah. police. Don't brutality. you guys worry about us. We've got enough. The world of low level podcasting has sure. taken care, has set us on easy yeah. street. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if you want to, you know, if you ever wanted to hear, um, uh, you know, the aliens, uh, commentary, or, I mean, that was, uh, this, what would you call that space invaders, uh, that, that day? Well, there was, there was the aliens commentary. It was about the, uh, that's right. There were two different ones. Okay. Yeah, so, yes, there was, they, yeah. so if you wanted to hear, but I'm saying, well, yeah, we, we watched all four, uh, of the aliens, uh, quadrilogy, not a word. Um, yes. but, uh, uh, if you ever wanted to hear Wayne Fetterman's take on James Cameron's uh, aliens is one of the one of the highlights of uh, uh, all of the premium content we've done among hi- highlights among highlights by the way oh, uh, yes. and, and and so if you if you've been holding off on that for some reason now's the time to do it the month of Ju- month of June uh, uh, goes if, to a good cause if you want to hear Paul Goebel do a whole one-man show about Strode Realty uh, during Halloween this is the time to really <laughs> embrace right. that or if you want to hear what did um um oh why am I drawing a blank on our friend now um who directed room two thirty seven oh Rodney Asher Rodney Asher during the Day of the Dead commentary do you remember yeah. what he what he 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 brought some uh, a one of a kind material yeah and didn't tell us he was going to do it and it was very exciting he had a he had a unique insight into Day of the Dead and uh, yeah that's the kind of stuff that uh, look you can't you know. It's chaos over here. You can't be ready for that sort of thing, but you can still uh, engage in it. And, uh, and also the money will go to a good cause. So, um, but yeah, so if you, uh, you can buy anything, any premium episode, any commentary, whatever it is, and it will go towards the communities against police brutality. Yes. Communities united against police brutality. Yes. CUAPB.org. Yeah. Um, yeah, so let's uh, awkwardly transition from that into our uh, ad read, where yeah. the money does go to us. Exactly. <laughs> this is, you know, this is why we can afford to be passing <laughs> right. the, the money along. Yeah. Um, uh, I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional... Sorry? Uh, let's just take that from the top. Uh, not really. I'm going to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Uh, today, Tyler, I was listening to the new EP from uh, Toledo, Ohio-based uh, progressive death metal outfit, Galactic Mechanics. Their new EP is called. Their new EP is called The Ominous Quadrant. Uh, sounded great while I was walking, uh, walking the dog around the neighborhood this morning, listening to it on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. They're available uh, at a low, low price. Uh, did I mention the stylish styles and colorful colors? I think I left that out. I think uh, you might have mentioned it once uh, or twice. Um, they're available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only fourteen ninety five. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot 
Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler, let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Why don't you tell the listeners uh, who our guest is today? Our guest, oh my gosh, you can't throw a rock without uh, hitting this guy and, uh, you know, throw it hard, as they say in uh, Barton Fink. Um, but it's, it's uh, you've seen him in uh, I, Tanya and Richard Jewell and most recently in Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. It's Paul Walter Hauser. Paul, how you doing? I'm good, you guys. It's fun to talk to fellow uh, film and TV lovers as yourselves. Thanks for having me. <laughs> So how are you doing? You're, you are uh, not in uh, the Los Angeles area at this point, yes? Uh, no, no. I headed back to Saginaw, Michigan to go see uh, family and kind of take a break from uh, take a yeah. break from taking a break. And I'm about to fly my girlfriend in to meet the family, so that's exciting. Oh, that's oh, wow. nice. That's, uh, congratulations, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Is that worthy of a – yeah. Her name is Amy Boland. She's this uh, wonderful, wonderful woman who just got into film producing and produced a movie called The Tiger Rising with Dennis Quaid and Queen Latifah. It comes hmm. out next year. All right, that's exciting. Um, so uh, how have you been uh, – I mean, obviously you you – you you had to skip town uh to for your own sanity but uh but how have you been <laughs> have you been dealing with uh with all this craziness whether it be the 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 lockdown or uh larger uh national issues yeah i went <laughs> the larger national issues have kind of always been an issue that that's sure. not new but i suppose the chaos that ensued um the chaos from the chaos as it were um yeah, no, I, I've just been doing random stuff. I went on these little kicks. I did, you know, three weeks of yoga, and then I stopped doing it. I'm on <laughs> my third week of keto right right now. That's, oh, wow. That's well, I've lost about six pounds. And, nice. um, and, you know, yeah, a little bit of movie watching, a little bit of writing, binging. I uh, listened to some new albums that came out. I'm just trying to, like, feed myself good – good fun things to, to sort of, uh, uh, you know, balance out all the darkness in the world right now. Yeah. Can I ask what, uh, what new albums you're listening to? Well, I like Justin Bieber's new album this year mm -hmm. and I liked Eminem's new album. Uh, I thought B Bieber showed maturity and Eminem, uh, Eminem kind of went back to his like, uh, roots of just being a really, a really good, MC and 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 an author, and then I love Run the Jewels. Are you guys familiar with Run the Jewels? Oh yeah, yeah, no. yeah. Uh, oh man, uh, these yeah. guys are cool. One one dude's from Atlanta, the other dude's from New York, and they're like weirdly like commonsensical political like moderates who lean liberal, and then they also like do funny comedy skits, and then they put out these great hip hop albums. They're hmm. super cool. Yeah, yeah, they're they're really good. Uh, uh, yeah, I've, I've been listening to that one uh, as well. Also, the new um, uh, Fiona Apple. The listeners have heard me talk about the new Fiona Apple album is really amazing. Oh, I haven't heard it yet. And and uh, I was I, I I slept on the band Paramore for a long time. I thought that was like a hot topic type of stuff. But Haley Williams' first solo album, Pedals for Armor, is fantastic. I can't stop listening to it. That's my newest my newest jam. And I bought the I bought the record, bought a bunch of records recently to because Bandcamp was like supporting uh, uh, Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, I got the new Haley Williams. Cool. Yeah, I like her. But that's not what we're. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Uh, we're, but we're here to, we're talk, here about to talk about f- whatever, you know, it's fine. Oh, okay. Well, I want to know about the, the five bloods. I also want to know about, uh, uh, obviously, uh, we're doing this podcast now. Have you been doing other, like, promotional stuff for the five bloods during this lockdown time? And, and has that been weird? I wouldn't call it weird. Most of it's over the phone or like this yeah. anyway, over a recording yeah. device. But, um, a little, you know, I have a smaller role in that film compared to some of the other projects I've done as of late. So I, I didn't want to look needy or weird by like doing too many press things. And then like yeah. people <laughs> being like, why is this dude all over the place? He's in the movie for eight minutes or whatever. But yeah, um, I, I watched the movie today uh, in preparation for this. And it is almost this. I hope this doesn't sound somehow insulting it is visually interesting to see like hey there's delroy lindo and there's uh these various other actors and then there's paul just with his glasses on just hanging out looking scared most of the time <laughs> yeah, it's yeah very it was funny. a very reactionary type of role where yeah. you have to play it almost like you're in a horror film you're just kind of trying to live in the audience's perspective of knowing very little information and kind of waltzing through the uh the chaos i really i really enjoyed working with spike again i i obviously did black klansman with him a couple years before that and he uh you know he said to me after the premiere of black klansman he pulled me aside and he he paid me a couple nice compliments and then he said we're gonna work together again and you know people say that all the time and in this business well i'll i'll see you on another one work together again i'll be thinking about you uh, but you never really know if that's genuine. And then sure enough, <clears throat> I think the, the July or August was the premiere when he told me we'll work together again. And then on Christmas Eve of last year, uh, forgive me, Christmas Eve of two years ago, 2018, Spike called me while I was at my parents' house in Saginaw. And I had no clue why Spike was calling me on Christmas Eve. <laughs> I pick up the phone and he tells me, hey, dude, uh, get ready. We're going to Vietnam and Thailand, March and April. Uh, I'll send you a script and hangs up. It was like a two minute phone call. Not even, uh, you just said, I'm sending you a script. Uh, let me, let me know what you think. So yeah, it, it's, it's fun getting to play with him again. And, and even if it's not a big part, it's a big movie and he's a, a big, incredible storyteller. So I'm, I'm always on board, you know? And it is That's, a very uh, well. T- uh, well, tell me. I, I really hope that you were literally sitting around with your family, and the name Spike Lee comes up on your phone because that's got to be big cred points. Like, oh, sorry, let me step. Let me step aside. Uh, I'll come back to my my Christmas ham in a moment. I got to take this call for Spike Lee. No, yeah, no. I I was asleep. I think I had been drinking a little bit the night before, uh, if not a lot of bit, and I, I woke up around. I had my white noise machine on my phone and, and suddenly it turned off and I'm such a light sleeper that I, I heard it turn off and woke up. I look at my <laughs> phone thinking maybe it died or something. And it says Spike Lee. It's on silent ringer. It's just the name Spike Lee. No sound, no, 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 you know, uh, reverberation or vibration. I just answer it and I try to sound like I've been up for hours. I'm like, Hey, Spike, what's going on? You know, overcompensating. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was crazy, man. Every once in a while, I'll get hit up by somebody I greatly admire, whether I've worked with them or not. And it's always, you, you got to laugh out of it. It's, you know, you got to tell your 15-year-old self that Spike Lee sent you a rap gift to your mail, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. 
There's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, this is not necessarily, uh, certainly not on that level, but that idea of like the 15 year old you, uh, like I remember many years ago, um, I was, uh, Stephen Tobolowsky had been on the show already and I think he was, he was dropping some, he, he then had to drop something off for one of our donation drives and, uh, and so I was just casually watching TV and then I happened to glance out the window and there's Steven Tobolowsky outside my window, just waving at me. And I was like, what the hell? And it's not like he was a complete stranger and he'd been to the house already, but it's not a thing you expect. You don't expect right. to casually look over and see this person that you've been a fan of for a long time, uh, just pop up in your, in your life. Uh, especially if it interrupts your, your white noise machine. Yeah. It's for stuff like that is, is funny. And, and, you know, we're all fans of film and television, so for us, it doesn't have to be Brad Pitt. Uh, it can be Delroy Lindo or Steven Tobolowsky. And still, yeah. <laughs> you get a kick out of it because you grew up watching them, you know? Yeah. it's uh, And then when when uh, we had Bill Duke on the on the show a few years ago, and, yeah. and it's just weird to be like, holy shit, Bill Duke's in my house. And it's like, that seems weird. Predator, right? Predator looks big. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, what was the, what was the shoot like? As I was watching it, I was like, my first, I was like, man, that looks really hot. Uh, everyone's sweating all the time. That looks very uncomfortable. And Paul, you and I share a body type and, uh, and I know that I would not be comfortable there. Our, what's our body type? I think it's called bread basket, right? <laughs> it's called pass the bread at red lobster. Pass the bread at um, we're like dad bod, but maybe a little more shame, you know? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I basically just, I'd never been overseas. I'd never been outside of America. Uh, I went to Chiang Mai, which is like northern Thailand, I guess. And that's where we shot the majority of the film. And at first it was, you know, exciting and it was fun. And I was eating different foods and going to different shops and riding in these tuk-tuks, these cute little motorized carts they they drive around they're like their version of a taxi so that was fun for a couple of weeks but man midway through the shoot i got a bad wave of like anxiety hmm. uh and a lot of it was was about missing sleep I, I had a little insomnia which happens to me when i'm on long shoots i get insomnia like clockwork so i was dealing with that and kind of dealing with the weather and the bugs and the fact that only half the crew spoke English. So like you'd order a coffee and then it never came and you're like, I don't know if they knew what I was saying. So it was, it's a bunch of first world problems, but it did get a little exhausting and it was capped off by me getting the offer from Clint Eastwood to do Richard Jewell. I got that phone call while I was shooting in Thailand. Oh, wow. wow. Uh, and that, that was exciting. And then I got um, a bacterial infection like a week and a half later and I'm vomiting in between takes on the set of The Five Bloods and went to the hospital. It was crazy. It's a real roller coaster. It's a oh, lot of oh. life, man. It's like God's just throwing hard balls at me and saying, I thought you said you had triceps. <laughs> and I'm just like swinging and looking <laughs> like an idiot. I'm doing my best. That's a real testament, I think, to what we've always heard about how quickly Clint Eastwood works, that you uh, that, that you got the job shot, Richard Jewell, it was edited and released and everything all in between the completion and the release of the five bloods. Yeah, it's wild. I shot the five bloods before Richard Jewell. I kind of wish it had been the other way around. I wish, I kind of wish that, uh, five bloods came out first, but 
but but either way, the, yeah, those two films back to back. That was, and I snuck a two day roll in in New Mexico on a movie called Silk Road with Jason Clark. That'll mm. that'll drop on probably streaming by the end of the year. But yeah, I did I did like four movies back to back last year. It was pretty wild. And I I did want to ask. Um because I know that you did quite a bit of publicity for uh, Richard Jewell, so I don't necessarily want to head too far down that road. But one thing that I was curious about is like, you know, in I would venture to say every possible way, Clint Eastwood is a very different person than Spike Lee um, and a very different, you know, very different directors, very different sensibilities. And so I'm always fascinated, like, when you know people talk about when you're a director you have to adapt to the to your actors but if you're an actor you have to to adapt to the style of directing that uh, that a filmmaker has and so like is it is it difficult to to bounce back and forth between different directing styles not really i kind of just do my thing and try to be respectful to whatever the director he or she wants you know mm -hmm. uh but my process is often the same i you know I, I'm, I think I'm a pretty malleable guy mm -hmm. and I'll stretch for a lot of people, but that also is good because if people know you as that, when they screw up or do something that you deem inappropriate, even if it's a something inappropriate creatively, you can then speak up and have that freedom of, of, you know, latitude because they know that you're an easy to get along person. Uh, so I, it's funny. You said Spike and Clint seem so different. You know, one would think that, but, you know, they grew up on all the same stuff. They grew up on, they both, you know, lived through wars. They both are family people who, you know, love cinema. Uh, you know, uh, you talk to Spike, he'll talk about Billy Wilder and John Frankenheimer as much as he'll talk about, you know, him or John Singleton or anybody. He he just loves cinema. So I, I think yeah. they get grouped because of the politics and, One's black, one's white, one's old, one's less old. <laughs> like there are all these <laughs> visions that people would think, but I swear to you that there's way more in common with those two than is dissimilar. I'll say that. Yeah, that's interesting. That's good that you say that because it does, it does fit with something that David and I have said before, which is that like, yes, people have their political differences, but when it comes right down to it, like, if you have a director who's genuinely curious about his subject, his or her subject, uh, then they will do as much justice to that as possible. Like my, my go-to is usually Oliver Stone, who when he made Nixon, well, I'm pretty sure he didn't like Richard Nixon, but he's an artist and he's like, I want to try and figure out what, I want to get to the bottom of this guy. And he made a film that was, it certainly didn't defend Nixon, but it wasn't purely condemning either. Like it, it actually approached him as a complex character. And so I do feel like, you know, when you're a creative person, that probably does allow you to have much more in common with people that you normally share no demographics with uh, than otherwise. So that's, that's fun to hear. No, very true. Very true. And I think, many of us are more similar than we would like to admit uh, mm. based on the few dissimilarities that are striking enough to make people turn against each other. Unfortunately, um, one of the highlights of my whole career, uh, like top three or five for sure would be trading texts between Spike and Clint on my phone. <laughs> so there was a moment 
And, you know, I may have massaged a little bit, but I, I kept it going <laughs> and said, you know, Clint asked me about Spike and said, I really like, Clint told me, Clint goes, I really like Do the Right Thing and Malcolm X and I enjoyed Black Klansman. So I, tell, I text Spike and I'm like, yo, dude's talking about you right now and sing, singing your praises. So Spike <laughs> hits me back with the sweetest message and says, please tell Mr. Eastwood I, I love his work. I admire him greatly. I hope we can chat sometime. So I tell Clint and Clint's, million dollar smile on Clint's face reading the text from Spike and he tells me to text him back you know when I'm out of post-production uh, and we're in the same city let's grab a bite and talk talk he's, they said they want to talk filmmaker to filmmaker and I was like man that's that's like the coolest yeah that's like the coolest shit ever. come on it doesn't you're, get you're, you're building bridges well I would like to I hope so <laughs> Uh, I did want to ask you a little bit. Oh, David, go ahead. Well, I was going to, I mean, there's a question that I always ask listeners or, or guests the first time they're a guest on the show, which you kind of already uh, answered, which is uh, oh, where, so where. So I'm not special. You're just going to ask me the same question. But there's, there's one, there's one question I always ask, but again, you've kind of answered it. It's where did you grow up? I'm guessing Saginaw. Yeah, I was born in Grand Rapids, grew up in Saginaw and uh, one of four kids. My dad was a preacher. Mom is a, a uh, school administrator and uh yeah blue collar pretty stupid but good sense of humor <laughs> loves loves the lord loves his family and knew he was going to be an entertainer around 11 or 12 probably yeah that's my next one how did you get into to movies as a fan of movies and how did you get into acting as a as a pursuit as a career yeah my entry to movies there was a turning point in the early 90s where i'm sorry not early 90s probably mid 90s where I was seeing PG-13 movies in theaters. I was seeing Batman Forever and Jurassic Park and stuff. And, uh, you know, so I was, I was wanting to watch more grown-up films. And then the first, the first like, R-rated movies I really watched were probably somewhere in the mid to late 90s where I saw Titanic, As Good As It Gets, I think A Few Good Men. There were just a couple movies, and, and I saw jack nicholson in that element where in as good as it gets i love him even though he's a, a prick you know he's not yeah. a good guy and then i i loved him in a few good men even though he's a horrible guy and it's like well that's interesting what who is this horrible charismatic guy everybody <laughs> love why is he getting away with murder with these characters so i you know i think i i just dove really deep into theater i watched a billion movies in, in junior high and high school and I, and I just knew I was going to take a stab at this, even if it didn't go my way, you know. And that's actually, you know, uh, not to turn this into an episode of More Than One Lesson, because that's actually already happened. But, uh, you know, being the son of a son of a preacher man, as they say, uh, th there are a lot of Christian households that are not, uh, as I call, as I say, movie positive. So it's pretty cool that uh, your parents were OK with you watching all these movies, because there are a lot of uh, Christian households that are not OK with such a thing. Yeah, I think they saw the interest was there, and it wasn't purely – it wasn't like I was trying to watch Porky's or something, you know. Yeah. They, they, they saw me, They saw me like, trying to watch The American President or What About Bob, you know. Yeah. They, they, were, they weren't that concerned, thankfully, with the content. That was, that was a good thing, yeah. Yeah, that reminds – I mean, <laughs> I told this story on the podcast before about my, my middle school friend who recommended the movie A Clockwork Orange to me because it had so many naked women in it. <laughs> and, I, and even in eighth grade, yeah, like, I watched it and I was like – Violated. Context, man. <laughs> like, that's not 
<laughs> Even in eighth grade, I understood that that was that was creepy. But that brings me to uh, just to, has nothing to do. Just something that, that that I thought of. A question for both of you: Do you what is the first R-rated movie you saw in the theater? Because mine was Nick of Time, starring Johnny Depp. <laughs> Dude, I, I'm obsessed with that movie. I love. Yeah. Here's the thing: I love Nick of Time because this is the whole film. It's just Johnny Depp running around, looking worried, and then every 18 minutes, Christopher Walken shows up, and he's like, "You, uh, you know, you're on a time crunch, right?" <laughs> like, it's just like the most redundant, weird movie I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the first I, I talked my dad into letting me see it in the theater, basically by wow. saying, because like like many parents, he was way more concerned with sex than violence, which I think is a problem, but that's a discussion for another day. So basically, I convinced him, like, there's not going to be any sex in it. There's not going to be any time. The guy's got 90 <laughs> minutes to save his daughter. Yeah. He's not going to make a pit stop to <laughs> to get laid. That's hilarious. I don't know. I, I just watched, uh, I mean, as far as mediocre films, um, I just watched, uh, for the first time ever, I watched The Skulls. It was Jen's birthday, and she wanted to watch this movie that she, wa- that she loved when she was younger. And sure enough, though there is a bit of a ticking clock, they still find time. They don't, sh- <laughs> they don't show a sex scene because it's PG-13, but they heavily imply that this is where we're headed. And then, you know, we crossfade to, you know, an hour later or something. And it's just like, guys, I thought, I'm, I was pretty sure the clock's ticking here. Um, but uh, and I that's the thing is for myself I had the benefit of having an older brother who was a little bit rebellious so I the first R-rated movie I saw in the theater I guarantee was probably with him Um, and I think it was probably like I don't know, Lord of, Lord of Illusions or something oh, like that. Yeah, right. Yeah, I like that movie. <laughs> Illusions. Dang, that's a deep cut, Clive Barker. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, think, I think my first one might have been... Uh, oh, gee, I think my first one might have been Gangs in New York. Hmm. I was oh, probably okay. 16 or something. I don't know. In theaters, yeah. What was funny is my brother and I, we would lie to my parents about what we were seeing, but the lie was so terrible because, you know, the, the, what would make sense is you say, oh, we're going to see this PG-13 thing. But instead we overcorrected and said like, I think with Lord of Illusions, it was either that or seven. But instead we said like, oh, we're going to go see Richie Rich. And just like, <laughs> if my parents were thinking, they'd be like, well, that's too young. Even Like Tyler wouldn't be interested in that. What? I think you're lying to me. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to go see Dunstan Jackson. <laughs> like, um, no, you're not. My you're dad's like, not. I've been, my dad's like, I've been reading the trades and uh, that's not supposed to be very good. I feel like you're, you're lying to me, but <laughs> uh, this well, is okay. fun. Nick of time, Dunstan checks in Lord of illusions, just a real, I know we can really, I, there was, I tried uh, the first movie I tried already movie. I tried to see in the theater was the craft. And what I did, a bunch of my friends and I went and bought tickets to Flipper, the Flipper, the 90s Flipper with Paul Hogan, which was out the same weekend, and then went into the theater where the craft was, realizing that, oh, every 12-year-old in the county has apparently done this, and this theater is overflowing like people were just sitting in the aisles and we were like we're not going to stand here and and so we tried we went into flipper and watched play the first we I mean, might not have even made it past the trailers there were like three people in the entire theater for for flipper even though the flipper was probably sold out on the book oh, yeah. that night because of us. and then we left 
why why did you say 90s flipper with Paul Hogan? Don't you mean 90s flipper with Elijah Wood? That's right. Oh, maybe that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, mic drop. <laughs> mic drop. Elijah. Mic drop. Yeah, that movie really is more of a two-hander, I think. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for um, no, I feel okay. We have a uh, Paul. I know you have a hard out, and we've wasted time talking about uh, uh, Elijah Wood vehicles and uh, <laughs> um, Dunstan checks in, which I think is a Thora Birch vehicle. Is that? Uh, am I getting confused? You know, you know. <laughs> is I getting confused with? There was also like Monkey Trouble or something. There was right? Monkey Trouble. There was Dunstan checks in. There was Ed, and then there was uh, that one with Renee Russo where she has like oh, animals. Buddy, buddy? yeah. That movie's crazy. I think Monkey Trouble is the Thor Birch one. Then. Oh, okay. Dunstan checks oh, in okay. is uh, Jason Alexander and Faye Dunaway. And, a, and, and Rupert them. Everett. Ah. <laughs> See, once again, we're wasting our precious time with, with Paul here. Now, I did, I, because we do have a couple minutes, um, I did want to briefly mention that, uh, you know, Paul, obviously, you know, you're, you're known as an actor, but you have been directing movies, like you've made a couple of short films. Um, is that, like, do you really, is that something that you're really actively pursuing is like directing a feature sometime soon? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I plan to direct a feature next year. I'm looking at February of next year. Um, and hoping to edit during the springtime and submit to TIFF or Sundance or both in the summer of next year. So, um, that's the plan. We'll see if that happens, but I have a dark comedy set at Christmas that I really want to, really really want to make it's a lot of people just sitting in rooms talking you know typical low budget indie but but it's set up with the backdrop of christmas and you know that's it's an atmospheric time of year and i think a really good place to set a dark comedy juxtaposed with the highlights and the and the friendliness of the holidays so would you would you star in it as well i would take a supporting role but i don't want to burden myself with with trying to do do the Affleck as it were. I think that's a little, <laughs> the Kevin Costner. I think that's a lot. That, that looks like a little too much work, maybe someday, but I'd, I'd prefer to just direct other people and then take a supporting role where I don't yeah. feel the weight on my, on my back, you know? Yeah. Um, so I know that we, uh, so we do need to, to wrap up. So uh, okay. just real five more minutes or something. Okay. Um, so real quick, uh, what do you, uh, you know, what's, if you, if you can say, we don't want to, you know, spoil anything as far as life. Um, that sounds weird to refer to life as spoilers, but uh, what are you working on uh, these days? Like, what do you, what do you have coming up? Yeah, I'm developing a TV show at Warner Brothers and uh, working with a really seasoned TV writer. Uh, that'll hopefully be done this summer. We'll, we'll try to pitch late summer, early fall. And I did this movie, Cruella, the origin story of Cruella de Vil over at Disney. Emma Stone plays Cruella. I play Horace, the henchman from the animated film. And that'll probably be out this time next year. I think that's like a summer Disney thing on on their calendar if it hasn't been bumped. Uh, And other than that, just kind of sniffing around. I'm trying to find the next thing and, and try to try to fill my tank and, and coffer before I try to pour out creatively. So yeah. I'm waiting for that. Well, I, and I am sorry that you were not cast as the penguin. Uh, I know that that is a, a dream of yours and I was very sorry as much as I enjoy Colin Farrell seemed an odd casting choice. I must say. 
seemingly odd. I think Colin's a really cool actor. I just watched him in The Gentleman, and it reminded me how much I, I like him and how he's quirky and specific. And, like, he can look rugged and he can look gross, like in Killing of a Sacred Deer. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm excited to see what he does with it. And uh, the hope is I'm only 33. Yeah. Maybe they'll, they'll do another Penguin in 20 years, and I'll be older and more mature, and I'll win that Oscar like Ledger did. <laughs> oh, well, maybe uh, not exactly <laughs> hopefully, yeah, Hopefully not the same. <laughs> not identical. <laughs> no, yeah, that idea. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, well, uh, this has been uh, a lot of fun. Thank you so much for, for being on, Paul. This is, uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, guys, let's let's do this again next year. I'll I'll have something for else sure. we can do for around like this. This is fun. Sure, we'll talk hopefully, about, hopefully uh, in person at some point. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, so listeners, you can find us as always at battleshipretention.com. Um, we're recording so early that I can't really plug anything that's on the site right now because it's, uh, I don't know what's coming up. But uh, uh, you can email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretension.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at davypretension. Follow Tyler at tylerpretension. Tyler, real quick, anything to plug? Uh, right now, no, there's just, there's my documentary, Real Redemption, The Rise of Christian Cinema, which is available at Faith Life TV. And Paul, uh, where can people, uh, find you on the internet if you want them to? Um, I guess, I guess just on Twitter, I believe I'm at Paul W. Hauser, uh, pretty, pretty lively on there. I have an Instagram page, PW Hauser. And, uh, I hope you watch the five bloods. It's, a uh, it's a really important film, uh, not only to recollect the pains and uh, mishaps of our nation's past, but of course where we're at in the present time. And I think it's a little bit of an entertaining history lesson. And uh, that seems to be the kick that Spike is on between this and Black Klansman. Hopefully there'll be a, a third, a triumvirate, a trilogy of these thought-provoking, uh, sort of hauntingly beautiful and sometimes comedic dramas. He's He's a real... Mm-hmm master storyteller and i think you're gonna like the film if you give it a shot so check it out and if there's a trilogy i hope you're in that one too me too man <laughs> he needs a couple white guys he needs a couple weirdo white guys all right well thanks again for for joining us paul sure thing guys thank you much god bless and, you and thank you at home for listening we'll get you next time bye bye This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.